Hey guys, I really enjoyed this interview this week with Brian Winchester, pastor of Saving Grace, artist with Beautiful Eulogy and helping out with Humble Beast. I don't know Brian super well, but we really connect over hip hop. As you guys know, I'm a real hip hop head and really know the lingo. Uh, so you'll be able to tell that in our conversation. Uh, but Brian and I particularly wanted to talk about church partnerships and what associations and networks are and how that's particularly been useful for Brian at Saving Grace. So we pray for for Brian and Saving Grace on a regular basis here at Henson. And so I thought this would be a cool thing by doing an interview with him for you guys to get to know Brian a little bit better. Hope you enjoy. Brian, who are you? My name is Brian with a Y, Brian Winchester, and I live in Milwaukee, Oregon, and I serve as a pastor to Saving Grace Church. And tell us a little bit about, Brian, how you came to know Christ. Yeah, was raised in a, as best as I could tell, we were a pretty irreligious family. I did not grow up going to church. The first time I remember ever being in a church building was in middle school. My friend's mother died of cancer, and so I was in a church building for a funeral. So that's the first time I remember. But um, my parents were divorced when I was young, and I kind of recall like having a throwing a football with my stepfather one time and asking him if God made everything who made God and he caught the football and threw it back and said, I don't know. And so, uh, but I was a, a big time, like hip hop kid by the time I was getting into high school. And, uh, you could tell I was a hip hop kid because of the way I dressed and which was like, what, like really baggy jeans, huge. Yeah. Hugely baggy jeans. And, uh, every time at, when my father got his tax refund is when I would get my new pair of shoes. And so I traded in my Jordans for a pair of Timberland boots. And so I was mobbing around in those. So I was at what was known as the Lentz Boys and Girls Club. Now it's I think it's known as the Waddles Boys and Girls Club, uh, but over in the Lentz neighborhood. And I was there walking around, not playing basketball because my clothes wouldn't really let me do that anymore. It's hard um, to play basketball in Timberlands. Yeah, yep. exactly. But um, this guy recognized the some of the brands I was wearing and stuff and started talking with me. And I used to always carry a folded up raps that I wrote in my pocket in case I ever met another hip hop head because this was in the um, mid 90s and there wasn't a lot of people who were into the more kind of underground East Coast hip hop I was into. So I'm meeting this guy and there's like a, a shared interest. And so we sit on the bleachers and I kind of folded out a paper and was reading to him or something like that. Any swear words? Maybe, maybe not. I, you know, there definitely were in my raps. I don't uh -huh. I don't remember that aspect of the story, but I just remember him asking if my family goes to church and I'm like, no. And did that seem random to you at the time? Uh, well, really, um, I think uh, I had a I, I had a desire within the kind of uh, hip hop I was into. I was kind of transitioning to this desire of like more positive as best as I could tell. I knew like, okay, I'm not really like a gangster. I'm not really, I understood there's things that I wasn't, but it was like, what am I, you know? And so having a conversation like that, it wasn't weird to me, uh, but it was a new conversation. But in, in short, it's like, I know I walked away, you know, from somebody who's like, okay, 
if there is a God who made him, things like that, I know I walked away from that conversation like, no, there is a God. Uh, and But not only that, I'm accountable to him. And his son Jesus died so that I could be forgiven of my sins and have a relationship with him. And it seems like around age 14, the Lord converted me with just kind of some seed knowledge of the gospel. And that kind of went into, so I did stop like cussing in my raps and I started like making like lifestyle changes. I had a, a, a sense of there, okay, there's, there's things that are morally right, things that are morally wrong, but didn't really know how to read the Bible, didn't have much discipleship, wasn't in a local church, uh, but just I knew like, okay, I, I believe in God, right? There was like an, an awareness and, and I'm, I'm coming to him um, through his son, Jesus. And the Lord used that, uh, that guy on the, at the, on the bleachers, that story you were telling kind of to introduce you to some of these things. Like, did he maybe share part of the gospel with you? Yeah. In that so conversation? yeah, from that conversation. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So the, 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 the like pieces were there um, from that conversation and we had a bit of a relationship and, you know, that's a that's a funny story of its own. But then my family moved to New Jersey uh, right after my sophomore year of high school. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, I don't it wasn't a part of a church, um, but it's like, OK, I'm trying to now navigate life as a believer. I remember going to in my high school, there was like some Christian club that met after class. And so I went to it. And the kids, you know, were juniors in high school and the kids were playing heads up, seven up. And um, I didn't think I really wanted to go to that club anymore, you know. And so I really it was through music that I started meeting other Christians and then just exploring or trying to express my faith as I understood it. But I mean, I was so biblically illiterate. Uh, you know, I was told like, don't really worry about the old, the old Testament, just read the new. Um, and so I was sitting down in New Jersey and I was like, okay, I'm going to read the new Testament start to finish. So I start in Matthew, I go to Mark and I get to Luke and I'm like, wait a second, he's starting over again. This is like the same story over and over again. So I didn't understand like genre. I didn't understand there were four gospels. And so I really kind of gave up on trying to read the Bible, um, and had a desire to, but just didn't didn't know and wasn't taught and really didn't become taught till much later okay. in my life. Okay. Yeah. And who and like then who ended up discipling you uh kind of later in life and or how did that happen that you be, had a better knowledge of the scriptures and the gospel? Yeah. I, well, really other artists who were Christians, I would start developing relationships with them. So I had a really good friend, his name's Milton. I lived in New Jersey. He lived in Florida and uh, I worked at a coffee shop and I'd get like a plane ticket once a month to visit him. And then his sister worked for an airline. And so he'd get a plane ticket once a month to visit me through during my senior year of high school, a form of discipleship. I mean, we wouldn't have called it discipleship then. And it wasn't like there was nothing formal there, but there was just another believer that I was in relationship with who genuinely loved God that helped me to like, be like, yeah, it's okay for me to genuinely love God. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was the the start of it. When I eventually moved back to Portland, I was at a uh, more prosperity gospel kind of charismatic church. And that was the first church I was ever part of was in the youth ministry. And, you know, in a sense, I could still say I was discipled there in then in, in the sense that if I was not being fed the word of God at all, I was fed 
pieces and crumbs of it that like I had not been fed before. And so my understanding of the gospel itself did increase over time um, from being there and um, other aspects, but it's really like it was through worship music that I knew how to relate with God, not mm. really through uh, the actual like sermon or preaching of his word, because it felt very mystical. It was kind of mm. like, here's some random verse and here's some conclusion. And I, I mean, that's what the minister is saying, but I don't know how the minister connected those dots. I don't know how they came to that conclusion. So again, it didn't make me want to read the scriptures myself because it seemed like I, I don't know how he got from point A to Z. Interesting. Um, so really, it like I had relationships with Christians, but I think any ter in terms of any kind of like formal discipleship did not happen probably till after 12 or 13 years of being a Christian. Um, and uh, one of the, the initial seeds, um, I went through a season of life and I was... Uh, I'm going to be cautious of like names of things that I use or don't use because um, it's all related to like local people and I respect them and honor them and, and uh -huh. stuff like that. But yeah. nonetheless, I was uh, uh, visiting one church in the morning. Um, and really, when I got away from more um, just a, a mystical understanding of Christianity, I kind of landed on a more moral understanding of Christianity. It's like God saved me. Now I need to try and be a good person. Yeah. Um, but I didn't understand the Christ centeredness of the scriptures. I didn't understand like how um, the Old Testament is interpreted in light of Jesus Christ. Um, so I, I understood the gospel is like essential to my salvation. I didn't understand how it was essential to my living. Um, but there was a Acts 29 church called Emmaus and they met in the evenings. And so I would go to one church in the morning and I'd go to the church called Emmaus in the evenings because I was after going through a rough season of life, I was like, I either fall away from Jesus or I lean in. So I just leaned in. And, uh, and so I remember a sermon was being preached about the covenant God made with Abraham when um, God, the animals were cut in half and then God caused Abraham to fall asleep in the flaming pot. And he, he's preaching this. And I'm like, okay, I think I've heard this story before, but he gets it to Jesus and the way of, uh, you know, the idea of covenants and the blessing or the curse falling on one party or another party. And, and I was just like, I was just amazed. I was like, yeah, that's, that's how I'm supposed to understand this. And, um, and so around that time, I knew my friend Thomas Terry just through music. He formerly lived in California, but had moved to the Portland area. So we just started hanging out a ton. Thomas um, Terry, yeah. uh, currently the pastor of Trinity. Yeah. Here, Trinity Church yeah, here so, in Portland. And we both became uh, founding members um, of Trinity Church when it was first being established. Okay. And so um, that is where... Um, so I was kind of, I was kind of at Emmaus and then w around the time when I met my wife and Trinity was being established, we were going to the interest meetings and then became kind of founding members of Trinity church. And really that's where a lot of my discipleship, okay. um, actually started taking shape both in my relationship with Thomas, but then relationship with others within Trinity church. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your story. Uh, we pray for, for you and for saving grace church regularly here at Henson. And, uh, I recognize that many of our members have maybe never met you. Uh, so to get some background, that's, yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, but yeah, so you serve now as the pastor of saving grace church. Uh, how old is this church? Just tell us a little bit about your church. Yeah. So, um, I've been there for three and a half years now. Um, 
rewinding the story, I guess, uh, I was, while I was at Trinity, I started getting some opportunities to preach, things like that. And that led to a door opening to do an internship at Capitol Hill in 2014. So I did an internship um, under Mark Dever and uh, and the elders with Capitol Hill, came back, served as an elder at Trinity for a while. And the idea was to eventually be sent out for a church plant. Um, or uh, something like, or, or either either a church plant or to stay around. There was uh, different options on the table, but there was a church in Milwaukee, and their pastor passed away in July of 2017. So I was doing some pulpit fill for them okay. um, through a connection at Western Seminary, and eventually they asked me to come and serve as their pastor. And so um, when I was sent out from Trinity, about 30 adults from Trinity came with me um, and we merged um, and became a, a new church essentially. It was a church revitalization, but um, we established became established as Saving Grace Church. Um, so that was June 2018. That's, a, that's great. Now did those, just out of curiosity, um, did those 30 people who came with you, did you guys have to do a kind of a hard sell? Did they already live in the general Milwaukee, South kind of area of Portland anyways? Or how did that come about that you you have 30, 30 people coming with you to, for this work? The story is, is really quite incredible. Um, I'll give you a timeline. Um, and again, it's like, man, it's weird talking about some of this stuff because there's other pieces where I'm like, okay, I don't know how far I get in the weeds, but... The timeline is incredible. Uh, they asked me on a Thursday, this is the the church asked me to come serve as their pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, we announced to Trinity that I'm going that Sunday. No kidding. We invite people to an interest meeting the next Sunday. The next Sunday, about 30, 35 adults come to that interest meeting. And then the third Sunday, I preach my farewell sermon and we ask the people who want to go with me to come up on the the platform with me. And every single person who went to the interest meeting came up on the platform plus a couple extra. And then the fourth Sunday, we were worshiping with the saints in Milwaukee. And so these people literally heard week one and by week four, we were a part of a new church. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never heard a story like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to rewind a little bit. So you, you serve as a pastor. That's your, your full-time work. And then some, I assume. Are you still doing music? Are you still a musician? A hip-hop head? Yeah. So, I mean, it's when, when it's in you, it's in you, uh-huh. you know. But over the last three and a half years, like Beautiful Eulogy, we did our last album, Worthy. And we kind of had the intention of transitioning into more full-time ministry. We didn't know what that was going to look like. Thomas was about to come on staff at Trinity, mm-hmm. not at the lead as a lead pastor. Cause mm-hmm. so my whole thing happened right before things blew up at Trinity. Okay. Literally like everything blew up like three or four weeks after. Okay. So it was like the Lord picked us up, me and this group of people moved us. And then, you know, uh, yeah. everything happened. And yeah. so Thomas ends up stepping into more of a lead pastor role there. Mm-hmm. I'm stepping into a lead pastor role uh, with Saving Grace. We didn't know that was going to happen. We just anticipated we're moving towards full-time ministry. So we kind of considered Worthy as like our break point or like our last album, at least for the time being. Um, and so... I haven't done a lot of music over the last three and a half years because Mm. church revitalization, being a husband, being a father, it's just kind of taken all my bandwidth. Sure. Um, But 
I've done like some audio engineering on the side. There's an artist named Antoine Bradford. So I've done a lot of mixing for him. Um, and then every now and then I'll find time and I'll, I'll make a song and, and share it with people. So I recently made a song, just a solo song called Divorced from Reality, which is like a, a lament over divorce and the impact that has on a couple, mm-hmm. on the children, on a culture, uh, because my, my parents were divorced. I went through a divorce when I was younger. So uh, I have um, personal experience with that, but also just lamenting how um, normalized and how common it is mm. and yet how devastating it is. Mm. Um, so just thinking about that, but yeah, so beautiful eulogy, like we, we're not disbanded by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, the kind of energy we put into creating, it was like our full-time endeavor. And now we have other full-time endeavors. And so it's hard to give it the short end of the stick and have it really be, um, create things that would be worthy of continuing to push forward, but doesn't mean that we won't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you want to listen to divorce from reality, can you find that like on Spotify? Yeah. Yeah. And, yep. and, um, you can find beautiful eulogy on Spotify or wherever you get your music yeah. and listeners. Brian is the, in the picture, I think you are on the left. You're not in the center. Tom, I think, well, I don't know how many people know Thomas, but yeah. you're, you're the darker haired fella and you're all looking different directions i'm not really sure and that picture taken <laughs> in the is, dark this is wildly specific but uh <laughs> yes uh <laughs> i was listening to, uh, to worthy this morning when i was yeah. working out so yeah, yeah. nice it's fresh nice. in my memory yeah yeah but yeah so beautiful eulogy is the group my solo stuff is under the name braille braille okay yeah. very good so i have a lot more curiosity about beautiful eulogy and saving grace um you know, maybe we can hear about that some other time, but I want to talk Brian with you about church partnerships. You just came out of a meeting of the Northwest church network where you guys voted in today as a saving grace was voted in as a a church in this network. Yeah. Um, so how did the vote go? Were you, yeah, it was, (laughs) did you have to leave the room? Yeah, no, I didn't have (laughs) to leave the room. I just, uh, Um, yeah, I've been in relationship with all the brothers pretty much from the beginning of, uh, serving with saving grace. So, um, and have been a part of the conversations with the Northwest church network pretty much from the early points of it. But, uh, it was just a process of when you're doing the revitalization, you only want to lead through like one major thing at a time, you Mm -hmm. know, so Mm -hmm getting through the process of membership then getting through the process of a plurality of eldership, getting through the process of deacons, um, getting through the process of church discipline, getting through the process of, um, bringing on an associate pastor. Okay. Uh, but all, all that kind of occurred. And now is like finally the window of like, I think we can actually give this attention to teach towards it and why, uh, we think this is the next good move for us to make. And so our congregation unanimously voted to join the NCN and then the NCN unanimously voted to receive us. So that's great. And what was it? How did you like make the pitch to your church? And how did you think through like, this is a worthwhile thing to do, like to join this network? And and before you answer that question, are you guys a part of any other associations or denomination? Yeah, so we're not. Okay. Um, the, the, the church historically has been uh, very much so a non-denominational community okay. church. Okay. Um, but there's been aspirations for things like church planting and stuff in the past that never really materialized. And part of the 
the the history of saving grace at this point is we have benefited greatly from partnering with other churches uh you know from me coming to do pulpit fill to trinity sending me and other members joining uh to us even when we received our associate pastor it was through the generosity of another local church um, who not only sent somebody to serve alongside me uh, but also helped to cover some of his initial salary and so um, and then we in our missions work, we've been, you know, whenever every year our giving has been over our allotted budget. And so we say, what do we do with these extra funds? And our objective has been like, OK, let's partner with other churches. And so we've been supporting some work um, of a church in Nairobi, Kenya, supported a pastoral internship in Shanghai, China. And so just through practice saying, if we want to be about the Great Commission, if we want to be about seeing um, the gospel advance in this world, then um, I think the hub of that work more than anything else is local churches. Um, and so we can't do it all ourselves as one local church. There are things that we can accomplish in partnership with other churches that we could never accomplish on our own. Um, and so even if we think about church planting, I mean, our building only seats like 120 people. So the likelihood of us raising up a team of 50 people and sending them out is highly unlikely. But we could also, there's a, a way that we could partner with another church um, to take some of our members who live in another area and partner with that church. But then it's like, okay, well, if we were going to do that, what would that look like? What kind of convictions would we want to share for that church plant to actually be successful, right? And so what kind of level of intentionality uh, would we want to see um, in that process, right? And so as we went through establishing missions partners um, internationally, it's like, okay, yeah, we could throw money. We only have so much money to throw. So do we think well about what direction we put it or we just haphazardly just throw it out there and say, well, Lord, do with it what you want? No. We do you guys make it rain at Saving Grace? Is yeah, that what for they sure. call it in the hip hop community? Yeah. Yeah. yeah what we did was um, we put all these buckets down and we put different um, countries on them and just whatever bucket the money landed in. That's who was going to get it. You know, it's trust and, in the providence of God. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's just like, how do we discern these things, right? We have limited resources, um, but we want to use those resources. How do we use them well? Um, and so uh, that concept of being in partnership with like-minded churches becomes really valuable um, because when you um, are, there, there are broad things when it comes to the gospel where I might... Um, be able to lock arms with uh, many different brothers and sisters in Christ. But then um, depending on the kind of work you're trying to do, uh, the kind of collaboration you want to have, there's some level of, okay, we're uh, reading scripture in the same kind of ways, uh, which will then enable us to partner with greater intentionality. Uh, and so that was really our uh, desire was, okay, it's great if we can uh, participate in some of the work the Lord is doing outside of the Northwest, how can we also intentionally participate in the work that he's doing inside of the Northwest? Because we don't think the the work of seeing churches raised up, um, established, and, and, and growing in health is done yet in the Northwest. And so, um, and it doesn't start and stop with us, mm -hmm, right? We mm -hmm. want to see, um, we want to see 
that work going forward. We want to see other revitalizations happening um, and other testimonies of, uh, yeah, uh, lighthouses in communities throughout the Northwest. And yeah. so we can better do that in partnership with others than we can do that on our own. Did you get any objections from your congregation or any questions? Because um, certainly... Uh, a culture for better and for worse can develop in a church where it's like, we've got issues here in our church. We've got a lot of work to be done. We got people to care for. Uh, we want to faithfully preach the word. We don't want our pastor to be maybe too distracted with outside things. He's got a flock here to care for. Anything like that that you got from the church or anything that you had to had to address with some of those positive reasons that you gave for being a part of a family of churches or an association? Yeah. Honestly, I do think the the pump was primed, for lack of a better term, okay. in that uh, we didn't uh, we didn't just like present it um, without some context that had been developed over time. So I Good. think by the time we were presenting it, uh, which was very recently, it was back in November, um, we already had been able to experience some of the positive fruit of partnership. Mm -hmm. And also, I've been participating for the last um, three and a half years in the Nine Marks Pastors Lunches. And I'm very vocal with the congregation of the fact that I do that. Um, uh, because especially when I first started, I was kind of serving as lead pastor, but we hadn't yet developed an eldership or anything. So it's just a way of letting them know um, I'm not existing on an island here, uh, but I have other uh, men who are more experienced than me mm. that I interact with and ask questions to and um, learn from. And so I, that that kind of concept, I've just tried to keep in in our ears to one degree or another so there wasn't any uh any strong objections uh really at all uh that came forward i think we were really positive and eager uh to do that and i think some of the older saints had experienced the other side of the coin which is being a church that is really not in partnership with any other church hmm. and I think became convinced of the good benefit good. of having those kind of partnerships. That's excellent. Uh, we're going to return to church partnerships, but you can think of this as just a lightning round. Uh, what's your favorite of the nine marks? Your favorite mark? Oh, my favorite mark. Mm -hmm. You were just talking about the nine marks lunches yeah, and the nine it, marks lunches. Yeah. You know, um, this is going to sound funny, uh, but the, the book on church discipline in many ways, uh, it's the red one. Yeah. The red one <laughs> puts a lot of the pieces together mm -hmm. and shows how they work together, mm -hmm. at least in my mind where, um, church discipline is one of the things that I feel strongly to use to argue the case for. There has to be some formal process of knowing who is the, the shepherd, who are the shepherds watching over and how does accountability function? So anyway, mm. yeah, lightning round. I wouldn't say church discipline. was like, I love church discipline, <laughs> yeah. but I do think it's easy to neglect. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and so I think that it becomes one of those things that um, becomes a marker for this has to be in place. And if this has to be in place, then there's other things that have to be in place so that this can function well. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, we're currently in a process here at Hinson of revising our statement of practices where um, it's open for the congregation to exercise church discipline 
if if it comes up in the case of a member who neglects kind of their membership duties mm-hmm. of gathering with the church over a period of a year or more. Um, and that has been an active conversation. There's had to be a lot of teaching that goes along with that. And I think there will continue to need to be teaching. Um, but one of the things that's so interesting is you, I, I've just been thinking about church discipline more, therefore, mm. over the last few months. And it's just neat to see in the New Testament how uh, church discipline is always positive mm-hmm. in terms of it's for the good of, of yeah. the sinner, uh, of the brother or sister, the restoration. Yeah. Um, so it, even though it does initially sound weird to say that's like, you know, I, yeah. I, I know what you're saying, but it, it, it's, it's a positive thing. If where would we be yeah. without discipline from the Lord, yeah. you know, his, his loving Absolutely. Uh, fatherly discipline, like in Hebrews 12. I want it. I mean, like yep. it, when I'm sober minded, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Obviously if I'm, if I'm drunk in my flesh, then mm-hmm. I don't want it. But yep. when I'm sober minded, I want to be a part of a body that loves me well enough Mm -hmm. that if I'm on the broad road that leads to destruction, Mm -hmm. they're going to love me enough to call me back to the narrow way. Yeah. Um, I I don't want somebody who is going to their definition of love is just to let me be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Favorite uh, hip hop artist, man. uh, But really the people that uh, got me, actually wanting to do it myself was a group called a tribe called quest. So, um, because that's where I, I kind of realized, Oh yeah. Okay. I, I don't have to try and be something that I'm not. They were like college age kids and I'm a middle school kid, but college age kids just like kicking raps. And you know, it was, there was a, a playful, but also had that, what I called at the time, like a more positive vibe that I was like, okay, I think I can actually give myself to this. So nice. Uh, what about an artist who people would know? Like uh, maybe a secular artist, maybe whose whose beats you appreciate, who you, who you like to to listen to on a on a drive, or I mean, maybe in your pre Christian. I don't know if you listen to secular rap now. I I mean, it's not that I'm like don't listen to this or don't listen to that, but it's like man, if if I'm in the car, I tend to listen to like. Uh, pastor's talk or preacher's talk or something like that right now you know it's just the season of life i'm in but yeah maybe people don't know who tribe called quest is but i mean they're like they're pretty big they're pretty big okay yeah and if it's somebody who's like just beats or whatever i mean i was just listening to dj premiere and uh who was a part of a group called gang star uh but yeah underground underground east coast hip-hop was kind of the flavor nice yeah nice uh i had a third lightning round oh uh an, like a, a pastor or a preacher who has shaped you as a pastor or a preacher, just like so, one of the first people who come to mind. Yeah. I mean, the collection of people, uh, it would be uh, Thomas Terry, Jared Pulliam of Christ Church Selwood. He was an elder at Trinity who invested a lot in me. Um, Mark Dever. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, it would now be my current the current elders I serve with, uh, Mark Reeves, Larry Bittner, Paul Fedotov, and David Brashler. Um, those are really the people that have uh, shaped me the most. I, I would also say that um, while I was doing music, the brother Shylin um, influenced me a lot as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, let's return back to church partnerships as we conclude our time here together. Uh, 
what are some ways that you're excited or creative ways you think that churches here in the Northwest, maybe particularly with the Northwest Church Network, can partner for Great Commission work? Like what gets you excited about going forward? Anything anything specific or anything just in general where you think we can really be ab- about bringing glory to God by how we mm-hmm. partner together? Yeah, I mean, one, I, it, you know, it's easy to get excited about church plant you know church planting mm-hmm. um but i think the health of planted churches uh is really important and a, just a recognition that um establishing churches in the northwest is can be hard work mm-hmm. and i would like to see um faithful gospel preaching um churches that are that are striving uh to be faithful to the scriptures like to see them supported and resourced you know um when you've got churches where they've got one staff um and that brother is just like burning the candle at both ends Mm -hmm. i'd love to see them um receive additional staff you know Mm -hmm. and additional Mm -hmm. help in the work um i also i think the way in which In previous generations, I mean, a lot of churches, I remember experiencing this when when I was a part of Trinity, um, very vibrant, like gospel preaching churches seemed to be kind of a rare thing in the Northwest. And so we had a lot of commuters coming from this place or that place. I'd like to see more of the bedroom communities, smaller communities, um, have churches that um, we know are in relationship with and mm-hmm. can support and can send members to yeah. um, so that those witnesses are strengthened. Because I mean, you know, if somebody's living in the Dalles or whatever, it's easy to say, ah, oh, I need to go, I need to go away from the Dalles or whatever to find a church. If anybody's listening from the Dalles and you're like, no, we have a church here. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm using you as a random example, but it's just to say um, rather than people driving 30 minutes from there sure. um, to be a part of an, uh, Another church, man, I would love to see like a vibrant community grow and be established there. Uh, But it's also just a recognition that newer churches can't overnight get to the place that an established church is, right? And so sometimes it's going to take some people being willing to take a step down Mm -hmm. from the kind of teaching that they've benefited from sitting under and the Mm -hmm. kind of community they've been able to be a part of in order to be a part of something that is even more localized. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so existing healthy churches i want to see them become healthier but Mm. also resourced and supported um and then also uh more of them established particularly in the various um fringe communities uh throughout the northwest i love that and that's a great end to pray to any ways that we can also pray for saving grace and for you in particular brian yeah i mean um I think like many pastors after the last two years, uh, it feels like eight years, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever. So um, I'm just trying to learn, um, especially as a a newer pastor, how to be ambitious while at the same time pace myself appropriately. Uh, So, yeah, just kind of um, the stewardship of my my body as I seek to pour myself out uh, for the Lord and his people. Uh, for Saving Grace Church, we're at a place where we're kind of through with the work of revitalization. Um, and I think that that switches our focus to be um, 
to bring mission to the forefront where it's like the the foundation is laid and the concrete has set and kind of who we are is who we are but now what does it look like for us to give ourselves to making disciples and um, seeking to mature and grow up the disciples who are with us and if that means they stay with us long term if they get sent out from us i just want to be very open-handed as a church where um if a christian joins us then they're better for it and uh and then if the Lord sends them somewhere else, we're happy for them to go be used where the Lord is going to use them. Um, but really, I, I would like to see um, Saving Grace uh, used by God to to make disciples and mature disciples. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, well, we will be praying for, for those things, Brian. Uh, I know... Uh, we as a church just really appreciate and are thankful for our partnership with you and Saving Grace. Michael just even remarked this morning on that uh, network call of pastors, how he appreciated your voice and the things that you had to share in that call even today. Mm. Uh, but we look forward to, to more partnership and, and working together for the Great Commission and the Gospel here in the Northwest and more. Yeah. So, amen. So thank you, Brian, for have, taking this chance to uh, have this conversation. I, I know that it'll be useful and helpful for our church. Yeah. Well, praise God.